This podcast is provided for general information and for general information purposes only and does not replace your financial, tax, legal or finance product advice. Hello everyone and welcome to The Female Investor, your chance to listen to two of Australia's leading property experts talking about all things property, buying, finance, strategy and lots more. Kate Hill and Nicola McDougall are the authors of the book, The Female Investor, Creating Wealth, Security and Freedom Through Property. Kate is an award-winning property mentor and coach, a qualified property investment advisor and founder of buyer's agency, Advisable. And she's a successful property investor herself. Nicola is an award-winning and prolific property journalist. She has been involved in property research, analysis and reporting for 15 years. And she is also a successful property investor herself. Property investment is one of the simplest, safest and preferred ways for women to create financial freedom. And with the right information to make an educated and informed decision, this can be achieved. If you know a woman who is concerned about her financial future, or maybe that's you, If you're keen to improve your chances of creating an income for life, then this is your place to learn, be inspired and motivated. Along with some special guests, Kate and Nicola will be offering genuine practical news and tips to women of any age to stake your claim on the property market. So come on ladies, stay tuned and let's do this together. Hello everyone, it's Kate here. So today I have got my chat with Nicola for you. We've got something very exciting news, followed by my chat with Tina House from Smart Move, where we discuss whether you should fix the interest rates on your loan. Absolutely essential listening, everyone. So stay tuned. Hello everyone out there. Nicola and I are back for another exciting episode of our Female Investor Podcast. Hello, Nicola. Hello, Kate, my darling. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm pretty good, thank you. Pretty good. We have some really exciting news for everyone this week. The news is twofold, actually. I am holding in my hands, look at it, Nicola. I know you ladies out there can't see it, but here it is, our Female Investor book. It is hot off the press. I received my advanced copies. Nicholas are imminent, imminent, imminent. (laughs) They better be. And it is just a thing of beauty. The female investor creating wealth, security and freedom through property. I'm just gonna, can you hear me flipping through these beautiful pages? It's a real thing, everybody. You can order it on Amazon, on Booktopia. It feels incredible to actually hold it after all that work that we did. It's a real thing. Well, I think it actually had nine months from begin, you know, from when we came up with the concept, and then it was incubated, and now it's here. Yeah. yeah. So you That's know, right. it's very exciting and, and very kind of surreal that it is a real thing and it exists and here it is and beautiful it is too. It is absolutely gorgeous, very light and uh, just soft and gorgeous to look at, and uh, as the publisher says, eye-poppingly gorgeous. And I couldn't agree more. And like you said, you know, our concept is so long 
sort of in planning, but then everything happened really quickly when we decided to, to do this, to put formulate the idea together and flesh out our concepts and chapters and the whole thing was written really quickly and suddenly and that was back in may last year was it i think june june and then we i think it was november we had to produce yeah. one of the drafts that's right this furious typing and, <laughs> and so um everyone it does exist and we will be talking about it obviously a lot more um and the whole topic of female investors and property investing over the coming months, years, decades, et cetera, et cetera. So that is our exciting piece of news number one. Exciting piece of news number two is that our very own Nicola, who is with us here today, is now the elected chairperson of the Property Investment Professionals of Australia, lovingly known as PIPA. Very, very exciting. Nicola, tell all the lovely ladies out there what PIPA are all about. What are you doing? Thank you, Kate, and thank mm. you so much for that. PIPA is uh, short for the Property Investment Professionals of Australia. And um, I've actually been on the board for eight years now as a, as a voluntary mm. board member. I'm, I'm the voluntary chairperson uh, as well. So we all of us on the board um, do this uh, because we love our industry and we want to make it better. So very excited um, to be a female chair um, of a board. Yeah. Uh, we still are in the minority. Yes. Um, but PIPA is an industry body that was formulated around about 15 years ago to improve the professionalism um, of people working within the property investment sector. Yeah. The reason why um, it was established and the reason why it still exists today is the fact that the property uh, investment sector is like the Wild West in yes. a way, can be like the Wild West, yeah. um, in that there is not a lot, there's no regulation of property investment advice, which is, is pretty frightening to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and now that doesn't mean that there aren't people out there that aren't covered by legislation, such as professional buyers agents, such as yourself, Kate. Mm -hmm. However, in regards to property in investment advice itself, um, there isn't any legislation around that out there that um, provides consumer protection. And that was the original reason why PIPA was established, was to lobby government for the creation of that type of legislation. Mm -hmm. Alas, yeah. haven't been successful thus yeah. far for um, a lot of reasons, um, which are, you know, lengthy to mm. go into, which I won't do in this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, however, um, what we have been able to do um, over the last decade or more um, is to create an industry body where the most professional and ethical practitioners in the property investment advice space mm. voluntarily decide to join. As members of the association, they agree to abide to a higher standards of business practice as well of, as well as yeah. code of conduct. So in, in lieu of that regulation, we are you know creating that type of standards already. Um, we also created the Qualified Property Investment Advice Training Program, yeah. which um, is also, uh, or the QPIA, another we like yeah. a good acronym, right. uh, the QPIA, uh, yeah. which is a, a training program for anyone yeah. uh, in the sector who actually mm -hmm. wants to, you know, be the most educated that they can be so yeah. that they can give qualified property yeah. investment advice to their clients. We are in the process, one of the many things that PIPA, projects PIPA has underway yeah. at present is um, having that transferred into a certificate four level yes. qualification. Okay. So yes. that should be happening sometime this year. So but <laughs> the point being that you're training people, people are taking this course 
to learn and that it follows that whole financial advice model. Obviously, we're not, so QPA is not a financial advisor, but it follows that financial advice model that you are trained and you learn how to risk profile clients to so that you're, what you're doing is actually buying property that's appropriate for them. And you're really learning how to assess somebody's needs and et cetera, like I said, to, to do that, right? Which is really important. That's, again, it's actually, and it's also mm. putting, I guess, property and, and investment strategy, you know, at the forefront yeah. um, of the advice that's been gi given to anyone short of, uh, you know, especially for people that, you know, people that are investors, mm. um, it's actually the, a next layer of training and yeah. soon a next layer and another qualification uh, that the, if they, if a consumer mm. is working with someone who's a member of PIPA and who has a QPIA, um, they're probably a licensed buyer's agent as well. They know that they have, you know, undergone all of the training that is available to them to yeah provide the most professional and independent mm. advice mm. that they can to each and yeah. every one of the clients. Yes, and it really does. Uh, you know, if people are shocked and horrified out there. Please be, be that, be shocked and horrified because ASIC does not recognise property as an asset class, which is why it's not regulated. And yet there are people out there handing over hundreds of thousands of dollars to somebody with essentially no experience who may have if you're lucky has bought a property themselves but needs no training to buy investment property for someone else they do need to have that real estate agent's license in all states to be a buyer's agent but in terms of you know is that an appropriate investment for somebody ah, it's potluck if you don't go with somebody who has that training and who doesn't put that, like you say, at the forefront of their agenda mm, dealing with mm. clients buying property, right? Exactly. And I think yeah. another key point is, you know, which we come across, um, well, obviously not in, in Pippa, but, um, mm. you know, we hear stories of, of people who are purporting to be uh, independent property investment advisors. Um, and like you've outlined, you know, may have bought a property themselves, sometimes, you know, have not, not. Um, don't, you know, don't even have never even transacted mm. on a property themselves, let mm. alone for mm. dozens or hundreds of clients. Mm. Um, but there are certain um, people out there who are uh, promoting a particular property investment, um, well, I say strategy very loosely, um, <laughs> when they don't follow that strategy themselves. Yeah. Um, so that's an important thing to consider too, that the person that you're getting your advice from is mm. actually, you know, living and breathing the strategy that they are uh, recommending yeah. to you as their client. And if they're not doing it, well, there's clearly something going on a bit that's wrong right. with that. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. So would you say the 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 key aims of, of the organisation of PIPA is to A, ensure or try and encourage and motivate more and more professionals to take part, to be members, to do the training if you're buying investment properties, but also to, you know, without sounding condescending, to educate the public out there to be mindful of which, who they use to, to assist with this. 100%, you know, yeah. I mean, in an, in a, an ideal world, uh, we would like that any consumer out there who is considering um, purchasing an investment property uh, owner uses someone who is a PIPA member um, and a QPIA, mm. um, that would be the ideal situation. And because we still haven't achieved, um, you know, regulation in this yeah. space, where yeah. we are sort of aiming to probably be uh, self, you know, self-regulating in that space, and that is via getting more members to join mm. PIPA, but also 
creating more, more students that go through the QPIA program. And then we have been running some, uh, just started to run some public awareness campaigns, which educate the public. And, you know, it would be great if someone, one of the first questions they ask someone that they were considering working with in this space, if, if are you a member of PIPA? And they, if they say no, they ask why not, or they just sort of don't give them any more time. And likewise with the QPIA. And then I guess the, the goal therefore is, that the public awareness is so great um, that those second rate people working in the industry uh, don't get any business anymore. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? It would be. (laughs) And in terms of obviously our, our, the purpose of our whole existence uh, in terms of female investors, Mm. um, I think you mentioned you had some stats for us, Nick, about um, the female presence within the organization mm. i mean real estate has historically real estate generally has been historically quite male dominated mm. clearly that yeah. is, that has changed over mm. the decades uh, however property investment continues to be quite heavily uh, male dominated we just ran some numbers the other day in regards to pippa membership and we we have only got about 10 percent of our members uh, who are females and, and at the moment we also mm. only have about 15 percent of all QPIAs who are females. So as a female head um, of the PIPA board yeah. and as the co-author of the Female Investor, yeah. those are sort of the numbers that um, I certainly hope um, during my tenure as the board chair, I can work towards helping to encourage more women uh, into the industry mm-hmm. uh, so that you know when we get this great influx of female investors who are taking charge of their, of their finance, futures um you know if they choose to to, if they want to work with a female property investment advisor um there's more of them out there that are qualified to work with them it's interesting isn't it i'm just sort of sitting here obviously i'm listening to you and i am pondering uh sort of staring out here into space as you can as you can see thinking why is it that so many more men are in this industry than women why is it traditionally that also in finance in general we say this in our book right there's so many of these finance books and let's equate that real estate with finance certainly when it comes mm-hmm. to investing right why uh, that so many of those books that pre precede ours our predecessors are written by men it's very i guess perhaps still you know, has its claws in the 1800s. <laughs> I don't know, in the ni- the 1900s as well, um, that this was such a male-dominated industry and still is. It still is. You and I are pioneers. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you're a female and you're QPIA and you are a you yeah. know, professional buyer's agent. Yeah. Um, however, you know, some, for someone like me who's been in the industry for a long time, yeah. yes, it is It is still very male-dominated. Mm. And perhaps, you know, in the, if we're thinking about the wider real estate sector, mm. it, it, it might still be sitting lumped in with the commercial real estate side or maybe the auctioneering side, which is still um, very much the domain of, our, yeah. you know, of males. So, yeah. again, it's also about you can't be what you can't see, right? So it's also about creating um, more opportunities for women um, in the property investment advice space, but also and also role models like, like yourself. We can both be out there. We're on the front mm-hmm. foot available uh, to women so that they can either, you know, choose to be property investors and hopefully improve their financial uh, futures, but also consider Yes. That property investment as a profession might be a good idea for them too. Yes. And even if it's not, doesn't have to be full-blown profession, but that it is very accessible. It's not, it's not the domain of males. I do think, you know, when and we're going to be talking about this in the following conversation, 
uh, in terms of super balances and you know that that the gender pay gap which i know is an ongoing subject but it is relevant but i don't think it's just that financial aspect of things that has women on the back foot all the time i think there is also a bit of a mindset there that it mm. is something typically that men do I, and i know there's lots and lots of ladies out there i was one of them myself you're one of them who you know we fearlessly <laughs> you know go forward invest in property invest in shares do our thing but i, I it's not the norm it really mm. is and we mm. need to be you, you need to have that dare i say it sort of pioneering fearless you have to do this you know you can't you can't not do this and have that i 100 agree wholeheartedly yeah. as you know yeah. um but um um, at least we're talking about it, and that's yeah, that's the that's first right. step. You know, talking about it at a public forum, and right. um, and I guess maybe talking about it more. I mean, the mm. listeners to the podcast are women who are interested in property investment, but mm. who also might be interested in it um, as a yeah. career path as well, yeah. which would be fantastic. Yes, it would. And if not as a career path, then as a perhaps as a consumer, as an investor in property, make sure that who you're working with ask the question: Are you QPIA? Qualified? Are you a member of PIPA? And if they say no, you want to know why. Yes, exactly. And I just don't understand what the reasons could be mm. that would be um, enough to, yeah. not, to, to to still kind of oh, go. Okay, well okay. that's all right, you know. Mm. Because as I said, the people that are members of PIPA um, and the people that do QPIAs yeah. are the ones who voluntarily are wanting to be seen um, as the yes. profession, most professional and ethical practitioners in the uh-huh. space yeah. um, who are prepared to, you know, support an industry body and, and also to pay for qualifications, that, you know, the only yeah. qualifications really in this space so that they can be the best that they can be right. uh, in regards to servicing yeah. their clients. That's and right. if someone sort of says, oh, no, that wasn't really for me, well, I'm not too sure how a consumer could mm. kind of get past that. Mm, totally agree so ladies out there uh nicola keep up the good work keep us posted on fabulous interesting stats from you know your your endeavors with pippa you know i wholeheartedly support everything that you guys do and we will be talking a lot more about all things female investor related and of course our book and other topics very soon so before we move on to our next segment in the podcast Nicola and I will say bye for now bye for now so I hope you enjoyed that everyone and now for my chat with Tina Howes from Smart Move one of Australia's leading and most award-winning mortgage broking firms we are talking to you about all things property finance and today we are discussing whether you should fix your interest rates or not all the pros and the cons around that so stay tuned Hello everyone, Tina and I are back to continue our series about all things property finance. It's a question that both of us actually get asked a lot. Do you fix or do you not fix your interest rate? We could talk about this all day, but we won't. There is a little boring disclaimer, I'm afraid people, just before we get started, we have to remind everyone to remember that Everyone is different. We are not giving personal financial advice here. Everyone has a different situation, different risk profile. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. 
and we all need to consult with our mortgage and finance professionals before we make any of these decisions, right? This is a very general conversation that we are having here about Tina's and my own experiences. Okay, so the scene, we're setting the scene. Your loan has been pre-approved. You've gone and purchased the property and there will come a time where you need to decide whether you're gonna keep your loan as variable, whether you're gonna fix it, are you gonna split it? What are you gonna do? And I think the key, I'm hoping that really the key takeaway point for everyone at the end of this one will be that if you think that by fixing your loan, you will pay less money, you need to adjust your mindset, which is a fancy way of thinking, saying think again. <laughs> and Tina and I both have little stories, quick stories about being burned, fixing interest rates, you go first. <laughs> um, no, it was 2009. Yeah. Um, I was working in corporate banking at the time and interest rates were going up and up and up. Mm. And all of my treasury experts were saying, particularly to our you know, large corporate-based clients, now's the time to fix in. And I fixed in at 8%, I think it was. And um, then we had the, yeah, the GFC and mm. rates plummeted. That's not my only story. No, 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 I was going to say after vowing never ever to do it again when rates went back down yeah um there was a wonderful 5.69 percent. i still remember it for five-year rate and i remember thinking you know what if i'm happy if i can pay that for five years having seen interest rates at that eight percent level and you know six and a half to seven and a half percent average I, i'll take that mm. and of course rates went down to yeah. sort of three percent and i was still fixed in so yeah uh what's your story kate well Picture the scene at the 2012 mark. So you've, we, you know, we've, we're sort of GFCing ish, yeah. but we have had that eight percent business, and it's kind of come down to about six and a half. I've got, I think, three or four properties by then. I genuinely forget. Sorry. <laughs> and I, the broker at the time, we were discussing, you know, because things were kind of coming down, but it had plateaued, I think, a little bit. And I fixed at something like six and a half or six point four nine. Sort of is been burned on my memory yeah and because things had been so high again the 6.5 seemed like a good idea thankfully I did only fix for three years if you could you could have set a timer you know the moment yeah. I fixed interest it just kept going down and down and down and down and uh, it was also unfortunately at a time where a couple of the properties that I had were probably more regional kind of Queensland not not exactly mining towns but quite heavily mining affected like your Gladstones that sort of scenario where then the rents also plummeted so you know I'm getting a lot less rent and I'm fixed at this interest rate can't do anything and interest rates kept coming down and down and down it would have made it a, a little bit more palatable oh. to hold and to you know go through yeah. Whole yeah. thing had I been able to do something about it, but yeah, fixing. I also swore never to do it again, <laughs> and, and uh, did not learn my lesson. Did it again once. In fairness, only for one year, which uh, you know I'm sure as we'll find out is totally pointless, really. But uh, <laughs> I, it was that other one that then took me. That's when I thought, yeah, I'm not going to fix again. I'm not going to do that until just recently. <laughs> yeah. Explain to us, Tina, when it comes to. I guess there's certain situations here, right, that we need to talk through. But when it comes to fixing interest rates, we like we like to say, you know, when you're playing the cards, the house always wins. The uh -huh. banks never lose. Explain it to us. <laughs> okay. All right. So I probably should start with the whole, I would have to say, aside from actually finding the property and getting yeah. your finance, 
deciding on whether to fix or stay variable is probably one of the, the toughest decisions. And it's been made more difficult mm. given the, the cycle that we've just come out of. Yes. Whereby we've come out of a pandemic where the government introduced a lot of cheap funding to the banks, which was passed on at fixed rates. Mm. So if if we put aside the pandemic for the moment, you will you'll basically be able to see that over time, fixed rates have been higher than variable rates. And there is usually a premium for entering into a fixed rate. And that is because the banks are generally factoring in an expected rate increase into that fixed rate before it's even happened. Yeah. Okay. So generally speaking, you're going to start paying a higher rate from day one, well ahead of the fixed rates actually going up. Mm. Now, behind the scenes, the banks are all about making profit. They've got really smart people in their treasury departments mm. that, you know, know what's happening a, a lot more than you and I do, Kate, mm. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so if you look back, I would say over my what, 17 years of, of being in finance, most clients, they've essentially ended up paying more over time for fixing. Mm. Okay. So aside from the COVID really low rates where we had 1.79s, 1.89s, 1.99s for four years with major banks, if you put those to the side, um, you the, the mindset that I like my clients to treat fixed rates is that you're essentially paying a premium for an insurance policy that protects you against any adverse situations that will result in rates going up sooner than expected mm. or um, essentially protecting your cash flow. Now, like any insurance policy, whether it's car insurance, home contents, life mm -hmm. insurance, yeah. You pay for that premium so that you can, you know, have that comfort factor and sleep at night. Um, but if you think you're doing it because you're going to beat the bank or you're going to do a cash flow um, and, and end up paying less, mm. then I think you need to reframe that mindset. Yeah. If you're comfortable yeah. with the amount of debt that you're getting into, you can sustain 1%, 2% increase in the interest rate then I would be suggesting to think about whether you just stay on the floating rate. I'll give you an example at the moment. We have 2.89, 2.99, yeah. four-year fixed rates, but, you know, a variable rate on offer from the same lender at 2.24%. Yes. So if if you locked in at the four-year, you're going to start paying that premium yeah. straight away, yeah. where the banks are essentially saying in the four years, we're not going to be seeing rates go up to that level until, you know, three, four years' time. And that's what... Depending on what you read in the papers, you will have one article saying rates going up tomorrow, another article saying in 2023, mm -hmm. 2024, before we start to see rates. So who do you believe? Quite frankly, no one really knows. So that's why I have that mindset that yes. um, unless you're prepared yeah. to pay more from day one, you can self-insure. So for example, if you were prepared to pay the 2.89% for years, you could essentially start to make that repayment on the variable rate and put aside extra cash so that mm -hmm. when rates mm -hmm. do go up eventually, then you've already got the extra cash aside to yeah. be able to use to help yeah. you yes. make that cash flow differential. I think that's really interesting. I mean, it's all really interesting, but it is when you think about that, you know, like you said, the banks are smart. They, but at the end of the day, no one knows what's actually going no. to happen. Right? No. And look, so, the banks are renowned to try and get you to fix in. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't and they? And some brokers yeah. as well, you know, yeah. encourage you to because there's penalties to get out of fixed rate loans. So there's a real enticement to lock in and 
Mm. I, I would like to say that I have had clients say, oh, we can't sell this property or we can't refinance because we're locked in. Let's take that up at that point in time. Now, if rates have gone mm. up, then generally there is no break cost aside from a small exit fee of $300, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but those big penalties of break costs happen when the rates have gone down mm. and you're locked in at 8% but want to get out at 5%, Kate. That's when you're going to have to pay the bank. Dare I say it, it's yeah. kind of fair enough, right, really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas if you've locked yeah. in at the bottom of the market, yeah. say you've locked in last year yeah. at 1.99% and then mm. we've got rates going up, there's yeah. generally not going to be a break cost for you. No. So That's don't right. let that yeah. be prohibitive on you yes. moving on with life. That's and, right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But talk, to us, talk to us a little bit about sort of this splitting. So perhaps split, keep some of it variable, you know, mm -hmm. leave, yeah. leave your options open in terms of, um, I guess, those drawbacks that there are to fixing when you they will stop you paying or there's a you know you can yeah, generally yeah. I think it's only ten thousand dollars that you can pay off right so leave yourself yeah, yeah. so a bit off yeah so a few key points generally speaking there's always a couple of banks that you know do let you have an offset account with a fix but there's not many and no. generally because of that and someone's got to pay for it yeah. generally the variable rate will be higher yeah. anyway to compensate for that yeah uh, so do be wary of those um, but, but generally speaking, you can't have an offset account against your fixed rate loan. You can't have redraw. So if you do make extra repayments, mm -hmm. then you can't access that money until the end of the fixed rate period. Mm -hmm. Typically, you can make some extra repayments, but as you say, generally they're limited to around $10,000 mm -hmm. per annum mm -hmm. um, per year of the fixed rate period. Yeah. So yeah. if you're locked in for 30 um, for three years, then perhaps yeah. you can put an extra 30 grand in. Yeah. But you can't access that money until you get to the end of that yeah. period. Which again, and when you think about it from the bank's perspective, is fair enough. <laughs> you can't yeah, have your cake and eat it, right? Yes, yeah. yes. So to compensate for all of that, if you are wanting that insurance policy, wanting mm. to fix in so that you can, you know, rest easy and sleep at night, not worry about interest rate rises, then I would strongly recommend that you work out a, how much cash you're going to have on day one, extra money from what you didn't use in terms of your purchase. Yeah. So that's money that you want to leave either in your, your loan as redraw yeah. or in an offset account. Yeah. So if you're looking at, say, locking in for three years, then you want to do a bit of a cash flow for yourself and say, okay, over three years, how much extra money are we likely to save? Are we getting any bonuses, any commissions, mm -hmm. any windfalls of money, selling any assets? And whatever that figure is, then that's the amount that you really need to consider leaving in uh, a variable rate loan so that you can have that offset yeah. or ability to yeah. make extra repayment feature. Yeah. yeah. Or if you've got multiple properties, don't fix the whole lot of them. You know, leave yourselves, yeah. like you say, a couple of hundred thousand or, you know, one or two that you can pay off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is my personal story, actually. You know, I don't mind yeah. sharing that. You know, there's, yeah. Um, yeah. there's some that I fixed, but there are three of those properties that I've left at variable mm -hmm. um, because I'm hoping to, you know, I am working at very actively at debt reduction at my mm -hmm. line. I, I need to be able to pay them down, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. And probably the other key point is 
when you do say buy that property you've got your pre-approval and you're looking to convert it to formal approval mm. um, and your broker or your bank says these are the rates settlements not for four weeks or six weeks or six weeks or eight weeks two months three now. months time, depending on the bank but for most lenders the rate that is advertised at the time that you put in your application for a formal approval compared to what it is if it changes between then and settlement Mm. then more than likely it's the rate that applies at settlement that you will have to have. Yeah. And there is generally not enough time in that short period to say, oh, we don't want to fix anymore because we don't like where the rate went. We've changed our, our viewpoint mm. and then redocumenting or going back to a different bank. There, there mm. generally isn't that time. So how do we protect against that? And it's a thing called rate lock, which is basically a premium that you pay to lock in that rate at the time of when you put in your application. Mm. Now, every bank has slightly different nuances. Some will be at the time they pick up your application. Others will be from the time that you've actually submitted it. Others are at, at formal approval. And then there are a handful of banks that have free rate lock, which basically means once you put your application in and then they approve it and document the application mm. with that rate in the loan document, yeah. that's the rate that will apply. Yeah. But those lenders are the... Um, the there are less of those lenders. Mm. Okay. Mm. So definitely discuss rate lock with um, your bank or broker as well. Yes. It comes down to what I tell people a lot. And that is, it's, it's really, it's not just about now. It's, it's mortgage planning to me uh -huh. is uh -huh. as important as anything else that you do, right? Yeah. Think yeah. ahead. You know, uh -huh. I mean, life is always going to throw curveballs at us. You can't, you know, we can't. Uh -huh protect and forecast against everything, but do give the next few years a bit of a think through. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, what you, and what, what, yeah. what funds you're gonna need access to, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. Yeah. Thank you, Tina, as always. Wonderful information for us all. And we will talk to you more about property finance very soon, everybody. See you Thanks, soon. Bye. Bye. Okay, all you lovely ladies out there. That is it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope that you found it super useful. You can email us with any questions that you have at info at thefemaleinvestor.com.au. Don't forget to pick up a copy of our book. You can go to your local bookstore or you can order it online on Amazon or Booktopia for those of you lovely ladies here in Australia. And head to thefemaleinvestor.com.au anyway, where you can click on the links. You can find loads of resources on investing, property news, hints, tips, and videos. It's awesome. We will be with you all again really, really soon. Stay safe and well, everyone. And bye for now.